We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what is up everybody welcome into an all-new episode of the pack a day podcast i am your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl thank you so much for being here unfortunately it is not a victory Monday. I wish we were talking about a great Packers victory in Pittsburgh, but unfortunately, the Steelers pick up the win 23-19. to A little bit of the inverse of what we were expecting from a scoring standpoint, meaning these two teams usually suck in the first half and play much better in the second half. And that was not the case, at least offensively. The offenses put up points early and then in the second half had troubles kind of matching that production. But I think if we're being honest, this was kind of the overall game that we were expecting, a close game, a competitive game, a relatively low scoring game, 23 to 19, a game that the Steelers ultimately won. I don't think anything that happened in this game was super shocking or surprising. I think there was a lot of positives to take away from Green Bay. I think, I don't know about anyone else, but for me, this was the best I felt after a loss. There's there's no moral victories. I'm not saying like, hey, raise the banner, best we felt after a loss, 2023, or anything like that. But it did feel, uh, I thought, a little bit better than uh, you know most of the other losses. Um, but what that means, we'll kind of get into it a little bit later and again, go through some of the positives, go through some of the negatives, some of the same frustrating things continue to happen. We'll break down that as well. But let's start with getting the big crappy piece out of the way. And that's the lateral call that was not called on the field and then stay like they had it stand after reviewing it. I have so many issues with how this was officiated. They just, they flubbed every aspect of it. All right. So you have the play. It's clearly a lateral. It goes backwards. It falls incomplete. Green Bay picks up the ball while the whistles are blowing and then brings the ball back for a touchdown. This should have been touchdown Green Bay. Now, a couple different things that I want to go over here. And like I said, we'll just get this out of the way first and foremost, because it's the most annoying and frustrating thing. And it clearly changed in all likelihood, the outcome of the game, at least in a very high probability that this game would have ended differently if Green Bay gets that touchdown on that specific play. The first thing I hate is that they blow it dead. It's close enough where even if you think as an official that this is an incomplete pass and you have like a some degree of certainty that this is like, we're, I'm really pretty sure that this is an incomplete pass, you still let that play out. You let it play out. You let Green Bay pick up the ball. You let them return it for a touchdown. And here's where I think the, the big thing uh, that I want to go through here is you can let it play out and still at the end say incomplete pass. And the reason that you want to let it play out on the field is so that you can see if the team scores a touchdown, because even if it had been overturned, Green Bay would have received the ball, like what first and goal from the five yard line, but they would have lost out on the touchdown because the play was blown dead. So even if you're semi sure that it's an incomplete pass, let it play out, have them return it for a touchdown. And then at that point, you can still say the ruling on the field is that it's an incomplete pass. And uh, please reset the game clock to whatever the time is on the game clock. 
This now allows you to basically go back and review the entire play rather than just did they get a clear recovery. And I think all the murkiness of the dead ball, the blown whistles and everything probably played into the conclusion of whether or not this call, they they were just going to have it stand or not, which is also awful, but we'll get to that in just a moment. So the first thing is you miss the call on the field. You miss the call on the field and the fact that it was a backwards pass. That's error number one. Number two is that even if you miss it, you don't let the play play out to its conclusion so that eventually you can review the whole thing. Number three is then you have it and you have the ability to go to New York and have them review it so that it can get overturned and Green Bay at minimum can recover the fumble and have first and goal from the five-yard line, which also probably changes the game in a very major way, even if they just get a field goal, but they're going to have a huge opportunity to punch that in and go get a touchdown. How they get to the conclusion that it the play stands is beyond me. It was clear and obvious enough that this was a lateral, that this did not go forward, that it did very much even go backwards. Even if it was by a half a yard or whatever it was, it was still very clear. And how you get that wrong is beyond me. And here's my last one here. So they screwed up three things. They screwed up the actual call on the field. They screw up like letting the play play out and they screw up the official review in New York. So what are we doing here? How, how would you strike out 0 for 3 in that situation? But my bigger thing is that having the play call stands is a coward's way out. Stand should be if there's no visual evidence and you just cannot see what happened on the field. You had every possible angle to view this in every possible way, basically, to make the determination, was this a lateral or was it not? Stands is BS. That is just a complete cop-out. Yo, we, you know, we couldn't come to the conclusion of if it was a lateral. Yes, you can. You can come to the conclusion if that's a lateral or not. If you want to stick with your referees and you want to confirm that it was, in fact, not a lateral, fine. At least you're sticking with it. You're wrong, but at least stick with it. Stands is a complete BS call in that situation. Say it clearly. Either yes, it was a lateral or no, it was not. And I don't know how you get to the conclusion that watching that play, that that is not a lateral in some capacity and clearly changes the outcome of the game. Now, what I will say, and this doesn't, how we want to like, like judge this or whatever, have at it, but this is, we're at the point now for Green Bay, and I, I, I would hope that we're starting to understand this as a whole. This is not a, a chase for wins and losses the remainder of the year. Now, it might be for some coaches and the, 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 the GMs and every, like everyone in that building, it might be like they might need some wins. But from a fan perspective, the wins and losses, we all, it's great to get a win, all of those sort of things. I'm not saying wins don't matter. I'm not saying that they can't help morale. I'm not saying all of that. I understand you play to win the game and I w- was very much cheering for Green Bay to win. I'm not cheering for Green Bay to lose so that they get a better draft pick. If you are, I get it, but that that's not where I'm at. I, I want them to win this game. But the bigger thing that what you're really searching for for the remainder of this year is evaluation, that you want to evaluate everything on the field. If we're being real, Green Bay did nothing to force that turnover. It was a bad throw behind the line of scrimmage, a drop pass. Now, credit Green Bay for recovering the play and going and scoring a touchdown. And they deserve credit for that. And it should have been a touchdown. I'm not saying it, but you don't, there's nothing that, like I said, that Green Bay did to force it. It was an unforced error. Green Bay did their job to recover it. They got completely screwed out of it, but it doesn't necessarily change what you're trying to evaluate from that game. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that, you know, again, that Green Bay did and it got, you know, stolen away from them. Like Rashawn Gary now doesn't get credit for something or whatever. They, they get screwed out of a touchdown and those sort of things, but it doesn't change your evaluation of the game. I'm not saying it's incon- inconsequential, excuse me. I'm not saying that they should have got it wrong. All that stuff is BS, but it, do- it doesn't necessarily change how I feel about how the Packers played in this game. Let, 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 let me put it that way. I think that's a better way to put it is... What I'm looking for is how did Green Bay play in this game? That's what I'm going into each of these games with is did Green Bay play a better brand of football? Are they improving? Are they progressing? Whatever. Them 
screwing up the call does not change my view of this game for Green Bay and how they played in this game. Would it have felt better if they got the win? Yeah, it would have felt better. So it, again, it's not completely inconsequential, but how I evaluate Green Bay's play in this game is going to remain the same. It just happens that unfortunately now it's probably a loss or it is a loss in the loss column rather than potentially a win if they get that call right. So I'll leave it at that. It's an awful, awful play call or uh, you know just officiating all the way around how you get to that point, how they officiated in real time, how they officiated it in New York. All of it was a fail, just an absolute fail. But I can still evaluate how Green Bay played in this game without having to know whether that was a lateral or not. And that's what should be the most important thing is like, all right, like like I said, there's going to be some positives to take away here from Green Bay. And we'll get to that more in just a moment. In fact, let's get to it right now. Let's start with Jordan Love in this game. I think the first big positive, and again, what we're looking for is signs of progress. And the first big positive and a huge sign of progress was Jordan Love's deep ball accuracy. It has been a major issue through the course of this year. He did overthrow Romeo Dobbs on one in, I think it was like the third quarter. Uh, he did overthrow that. But even then, it was kind of like a like an okay sign of like, oh, thank goodness he overthrew it. He didn't underthrow it this time. He overthrew it, which was, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's great to overthrow it, but it was kind of like a positive in a way of just like, all right, we're not seeing these too much air under it, underthrown balls anymore. He hits the Musgrave seam route. He hits Jaden Reed on the beautiful touchdown in the end zone. Uh, he he hit Dobbs in the back corner of the end zone. Like those are throws that have been missing from this offense. And to be able to see and get some of those explosive plays and see them come to fruition, that was a huge, huge step for Jordan Love in this offense. Hopefully that is a repeatable process now for Jordan. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if he hit his drop differently. I don't know if he just hit his drop and then just let it fly, like stop thinking about it or overthinking, got rid of the whole, hey, you need to put more air under it sort of thing. I don't know what that thing was, but whatever it was, keep doing it. And now we need to see that like with some level of consistency for Jordan. And I think the question will now become, was just was this just the, the one-off? Was just this just the exception to the rule? And the rule is that it, it, he's just not a good deep ball passer. Or did he figure something out and it's going to be much better now through the remainder of the season? But it was a huge step in the right direction. It was a huge sign of progress. And now he just needs to continue that and stack success moving forward. Let's talk about the two late interceptions for Jordan, however. Differing, really smart minds on this one are going to just disagree on maybe the, the first interception to Watson. I've seen very smart people very smart football people on both sides of this that say Jordan can't throw that ball and that say, I understand Jordan's throw. It's just a really great play by Patrick Peterson. I fall in that side. And I'm not saying I'm a super smart football mind. I'm not you know propping myself up here, but I fall in that second camp. I think, I'm not saying that this was a good decision by Jordan. I graded this as a negative. I finished my offensive grades uh, prior to recording this. I graded this as a clearly, clearly a negative play for Jordan. Um, but if you kind of look at the play, there's not a ton of great options. It's a, and I know Matt LaFleur said post-game, he wishes, I think he would have went to the, I think he said the backside. I think he would have went to the opposite side. I don't know if he was just looking for a check down. I thought there was a scramble opportunity there for Jordan. And he said, it's you know not kind of the the way to read that play and, and where the ball needs to go in that situation, which is, is pretty candid for Matt to say. So I, I get that. I understand. I'm not saying it's a positive uh, graded throw or like that it was a great decision or anything like that. I don't think it was like this crazy egregious decision. I don't think, I think the result was a lot more horrible than the decision. Now he's throwing one-on-one, giving Christian Watson an opportunity at a jump ball against Patrick Peterson. When he throws it, they're about even. Peterson's backs to the ball. Watson's starting to gain, like a, when I say like a, it's like an eighth of a step of separation against Peterson. There's not much there. I don't think, I know some people said like he just underthrew. I don't think it was like severely underthrown. I, I don't hate the ball. I, my bigger thing here is I just think Patrick Peterson made a really awesome play, not only to have great coverage on Watson, not only to bat the ball away, but to bat it towards his safety who's coming over. I saw people say like, well, he threw it into double coverage. If you look at the safety, the safety's not getting there to, to break up the play. The safety was not involved in the the pass breakup in any capacity until the ball was battered in his direction, and then he had the time to get under it and actually make the interception. 
But to me, that's not a throw into double coverage. That's a throw into really tight coverage in an insanely tight window that's going to be really difficult. But you do have a 6'4", you know, wide receiver that you're hoping maybe he goes up and makes a play. Maybe you're going to get a pass interference call and it's going to be placed on the one yard line, whatever it might be. And I think the general odds there is that it's probably just an incomplete pass more often than not. Batted away, knocked down, whatever. The the play for Peterson to bat it towards the safety and the safety to pick it off. I don't know if it was intentional by Peterson or not. Uh, it looked like it could have been. Maybe it was just lucky for them and unlucky for Green Bay. But either way, to me, it's a much greater play by Patrick Peterson than it is some disastrous decision by Jordan Love. Now, I know Zach Cruz uh, is of you know the mind of that it's just a really bad decision by Jordan, which is totally fine. Like I said, I think differing football minds can just have a different opinion of the play. It's a negative play for Jordan. It's a poor decision. I thought there were better options. Matt LaFleur thought there were better options. I just don't think it was this crazy, oh my God, he's throwing into triple coverage and it's a dumb throw and it's a horrible ball or anything like that. It's a really tight throw in a really difficult situation that probably is going to end up incomplete more often than not. And it just so happened that Peterson made a great play and it was picked. That's how I come out on it. Now, the last interception. So Matt did a really great job of describing this play of how the goal is to take uh, like the corner route and to you know run those those defensive backs off and then throw underneath to Watson and hope that the the defensive backs went with the deeper routes and now you've got Watson uh, just chilling underneath. So that's the design of the play. So they ran it in practice you know a ton of times and that they've done this over and over. So they know the design of the play, but that's the design. You run everyone off and then you hope you're getting Christian coming open underneath with an opportunity to throw him the ball. So knowing that that's the design of the play is to hit Watson underneath after you run everyone else off. Jordan Love throws where the ball is designed to go. And in large part, because he gets immediate pressure from Pittsburgh's front four. And I think he probably felt at that time, and I can understand completely what he was feeling just based on watching the tape, that if he didn't get rid of the ball, this was probably a situation where he might've gotten sacked and they might not even have had the opportunity to throw a ball period, which is uh, again, you're going to lose the game if that's what happens. So he kind of trust throws it, hoping that the design of the play goes according to plan. So at least if it did, he's throwing it to the spot where Christian's going to come wide open and hopefully get a touchdown. Pittsburgh played it perfectly. If you look, I know people are saying Dobbs is open on the other side. If Jordan's facing left side, it's basically kind of the same concept to the left side. And the defense is the exact same setup on the other side. If Jordan's facing left and is starting to get ready to throw like he was to the right, those defensive backs squat on Dobbs the exact same way that they squatted on Watson. So yes, if, if you're when you're looking right, the defenders on the left stay off a little bit more because there's no threat at that time. So you're just continuing to get depth. If all this, if Dob or so, excuse me, if Love is looking left towards Dobbs, then the defensive backs are going to play it the exact same way, undercut that route, and have an easy interception on the other side of the field. So I, yes, it looks like Dobbs is open. He's not open. He's not open. I don't think there's a better option there. Luke Musgrave in the middle of the field is in a one-on-one. He's very well covered. That's probably your best option on the play. Love could have tried to scramble around. The pressure is immediate and you've got TJ Watt and Highsmith and those guys and scrambling around and buying time might be a fool's errand as well. My, my ultimate belief on that final play, based on the play that Green Bay called and based on how Pittsburgh played it, if we're going through the, the Dr. Strange, uh, I went through a million simulations to try to find out how you can get that one result that works. I'm honestly not quite, I'm sure there's probably one out there, but man, I don't know how it, it eventually works because you've got immediate pressure from four, from three or four guys, and then you've got everyone just playing back on that, on the line of scrimmage, or excuse me, on the, the red zone where with nowhere to throw the ball. And basically five guys just running into the back of the end zone and Jordan's got to get rid of it right away because of the pressure. I, I don't know where you find any success and Jordan did all he could and basically just throw it up and hope that something good happens and throw it within the design of the play of where it's supposed to go. It's easily intercepted. At the end of the day, Jordan, I thought had a really great day overall, but you're still going to get judged for how you finish the game when you have an opportunity to go down and win. That's that's job number one as a quarterback. And especially when you're in those positions. And I know Jordan is probably ruining the fact that he had two opportunities to go down, be the hero and win the game. 
I don't think, again, there was a, a great scenario at the end of the game and the, the missed extra point loomed large because they probably kick a field goal on both of those drives. And again, who knows the butterfly effect that takes place after the blocked field or extra point that changes the calculus for everything moving forward. But um, yeah, I'm sure Jordan is, is regretting the fact that they weren't able to find the way into the end zone in some capacity on either of those drives. And that's the difference in the game too. We can talk about the lateral. We can talk about the missed extra point. There's going to be some big things that happen in this game, but you've got two opportunities in the red zone at the end. The the first one being the much better opportunity. The last one, you've got a 16 yard throw at the very, very end. And there's just not much opportunity there. But um, I thought overall, really positive day for Jordan. He had a ton of confidence, was throwing the deep ball much better. Um, yeah. So I think, I think there's some positives to take away here from Jordan. It was tied for my highest grade that I gave him on the season with uh, week two, actually against Atlanta. Uh, just a really positive performance Two two bad throws, unfortunately, towards the end of the game that resulted in interceptions. I, I can't put too much blame on him for the last one, just because he has to get rid of the ball and there's nowhere to go with it. The first one we can, uh, again, maybe just agree to disagree on how egregious of a throw that was. But uh, again, I thought overall it was just an amazing play by Patrick Peterson. Probably was a better opportunity somewhere else or just live to see another down, scramble away from it. But the rest of the day was really good from Jordan. I think a ton of positive takeaways, most specifically the deep ball accuracy. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And then you can get ready for football and fun Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza. Pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. For me, I have the same order every single time. I'm going with their hot and ready pizza, pepperoni, no questions about it. And more importantly than anything else, always, 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 always get the crazy bread. It is, in my opinion, the best food that you can get on the market. I'm not joking. I love Crazy Bread, love, love, love Crazy Bread. Get it every single time. You win when you get Crazy Bread. And speaking of winning, Literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. So I, I'm not going to lie. When I'm in the middle of Packer season, I don't always eat the best. It's by far my busiest time of year. I don't have a ton of time to make healthy meals. And because of that, I end up eating a lot of unhealthy foods. And when I'm not eating healthy, my digestive system doesn't always feel the best. And I end up feeling less focused, more stressed, and it just feels like my immune system is fighting with an arm behind its back. That's why I tried AG1. I was tired of being tired, and I was tired of being unfocused, and I needed to kickstart my immune system and increase my energy. And when I started drinking AG1 daily, I could feel the difference in my digestive health and my daily energy. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop includes probiotics for gut support, B vitamins for energy, and zinc to help support my immune health. And that's why Packaday is proud to be sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. Cue the dramatic music. We have a public service announcement. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new performance package 5.0 Ultra. Featuring the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, we're talking about a next generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultra Sphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code PACKADAY. High tech for low places 
Manscaped. Personally, Manscaped is my go-to for all of my grooming needs. Manscaped has some crazy technology that helps prevent nicks, cuts, snags, and tugs in all those ultra-sensitive places. I also personally recommend the Crop Soother Aftershave Lotion that just makes the entire experience so much better. In an area that you have to have trust, I trust Manscaped, and you should too. Right now, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PACKADAY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code PACKADAY at manscaped.com. I can promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship, so get yours today from our folks over at Manscaped. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. So many of you probably know that Damian Lillard was just traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And as soon as I found out, I had to get opening day tickets immediately. And I will be there at that game because I use game time and even got to use code pack a day for $20 off, which made it even more sweet. The process was so insanely simple. They have these flash deals and you can click on the different areas of the stadium to see which prices are available. You can see the actual view of the seats. It was hassle-free and just super, super simple. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals as well. You can forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without all the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now let's talk about our favorite topic, which is Joe Barry's defense. All right, I'll, I'll play. Dev- I'll play along for a second. I'll play devil's advocate for a second here. I want to be very clear: not advocating for Joe Barry in any way, shape, or form here. And I'm very disappointed the way that this game went from a run defense standpoint, specifically. But I will ask this, just to be devil's advocate. Does this look different for the Packers defense if they scoop and score and get the touchdown on defense that they did not call the correct way? Does this look different for Joe Barry in the defense if Devondre Campbell comes up with an interception and probably houses it for a pick six where he was in very much position to do so and Kenny Pickett made a terrible throw and decision in that situation? Does it feel different for the defense if they get a potentially game-winning pick six by Devondre Campbell? Maybe. Does it feel different if his players that he has in the secondary at linebacker, defensive line, just tackle with, I don't know, even any level of consistency, like even remotely well? Because the players on the field are in positions to make tackles and at least a huge chunk of those plays and just could not tackle at all. Is that the coaching staff's job to get them prepared and ready to tackle? Yes, but there's only so many tackling drills and stuff that you can do those guys have to go out and and tackle. This is the NFL. This is football. You got to go tackle the guy in front of you. And they did a terrible job on tackling. All right. Now that we got those out of the way, my answer is, I don't think that I feel a whole, a ton better about the defense in this one. It's a little bit better, but like I said, it wasn't like they forced the the fumble that should have been. Devondre had the opportunity at a pick six. That's a really bad decision by Kenny Pickett. 
And like the tackling, like I said, that's, that's part of it. It needs to be better. But the run defense as a whole was brutal. I said in my preview show, you got to make Kenny Pickett beat you. You have to make him beat you with his arm. And instead they said, ah, nah, we will, we just don't want to allow big explosive plays again. Kenny Pickett in an offense doesn't have the ability to put together explosive plays consistently. They don't. But if you let them and you play off and you play two defensive linemen a ton of the game, they're going to run the ball down your throat. You know they're going to run the ball down your throat. And that's exactly what they did. 5.7 yards per carry, 200 yards on the ground. That's completely unacceptable. Unacceptable. And to me, you're playing scared. You're seeing ghosts. This this is the, the Joe Barry defense in a nutshell. And I get it is in vogue to play two safeties deep and make sure you're not getting beat deep. That is the name of the game. 23 points is not a ton of points to allow. It is to a Matt Canada, Pittsburgh Steelers, Kenny Pickett-led offense. But it's not like this. It's not like they gave up 42 or anything. But you're playing scared. You're con- you're you're so constantly worried of like, oh, we can't get beat deep. Can't can't get beat deep. Cannot get beat deep. Well, no matter what we do, we can't get beat deep. All right, well, you didn't get beat deep, but you got again same thing. Joe Barry defense. We've talked about this a million times. You got paper cut to death again. You're just a body full of paper cuts at this point. That's all you are. You're and you've bled out a thousand times over because you keep giving up these long drives. You keep giving up five point something yards per carry. And you're not stopping teams with that. And get out of here with the bend but don't break crap or anything. I'm I'm done with it. I'm done with it. Play aggressive. I'm sick of the 13-yard play on, you know, third and 14. And then, of course, you know, the situations where they go for it and get the first down. It's all the same things that we have talked about. And like I said, if you're Joe Barry, you probably know where this is trending. Let's try, let's try something different. Because here's the thing. Not only are you not stopping the run, you're not getting the big turnover worthy plays. You're not putting yourself in enough positions to be disruptive enough. You get one sack, you get no turnovers. Should there have been one? Yes. But um, you're just not disruptive enough and you're you're not getting off the field enough to make this defense successful. And here's the other thing, as I've said multiple times before, if you are going to be this bend but don't break defense, you better have some really good tacklers that are going to be able to come up and rally to the football and make those tackles. And Green Bay doesn't. That's not what they're known for either. It's just not a great fit between scheme and personnel. And I get you had you know two backup cornerbacks that are starting out, out there and you need to figure out a way to stop their pass offense. And I'm sure you, again, didn't want to get beat deep. But man, when they are averaging 5.7 yards per carry, you have to stop the thing that's beating you. It, it, it would be like... I don't know. You're you're just getting like. It, it would almost be like if you are if you are a, a boxer and all you did was just defend your face the entire time. Like I, I can't get I can't get hit in the head. I cannot get hit in the head. I'm just going to cover my my head and my face the entire time. And meanwhile, the opposing boxer is just gut punch, gut punch, gut punch, jab, jab, like just completely annihilating you. And your midsection is just a nightmare. And you're of course going to lose. Because you're just defending your head the entire time. I, I got to protect my head. Like, it's not going to work. You have to be more well-rounded than that. And Green Bay's defense is not. And if you continue to get beaten on the ground like this, and they had two good games against Minnesota and the Rams against a bunch of really bad running backs, kudos to that. It's better than allowing a lot of rushing yards to a bunch of really bad running backs. But clearly, things are not fixed. It's not. It was fool's gold the past two weeks, which we had thought maybe that it was. And then when you get a better running game like Pittsburgh, who is dedicated to it in this game, you could not stop it whatsoever. And it's 5.7 yards per carry. And Kenny Pickett, who had no had showed no ability to beat you in this game, gets out of this game with having to do basically nothing. And once again, first and goal from the four-yard line, you're in nickel personnel. You've got two defensive linemen on the field, and they got you like run right up the gut for an easy touchdown. Same things that we have seen for the past three years. And, and at this point, like it's probably not changing, right? We, we know what the Joe Barry defense is. And we can still make the argument if you want that the Joe Barry issues this year have been maybe the least of Green Bay's issues, which is, might be a leg- legitimate argument. That doesn't mean it's good enough. And I think we all, like, we just, there's a tangible feel that this defense isn't really playing the right way. And, Listen, maybe maybe they play a different way and it, it's worse. Uh, maybe, but at some point you got to try something different because what you're doing isn't working. It's not getting turnovers. It's not getting teams off the field, 
and you're allowing you're not allowing explosive plays and points, but you're just allowing to be you know battered and bruised and beaten and bled out and everything else, and that's still not good enough. And we see these same issues happen week after week after week after week, and it gets frustrating, uh, understandably so. All right, the other thing I'll say here is that the Packers once again take the lead for the third time this season and immediately, immediately on the ensuing drive, give it right back because the defense can't get a stop. Green Bay finally gets a lead in the second half. Again, third time it's happened. And they, the, the in this case, the Steelers go down, get the ball back and immediately take back the lead. And that's just like, imagine if you get the lead and the defense go, gets the team to go three and out and you get the ball back and you can actually have uh, maybe try to get a little bit of ball control offense going on your side and make things unpredictable for the opposing defense. But Green Bay has just had no ability to do that all season long. And it's the third time that it has happened already this year. In my pregame show, my very last bullet, which is usually one of my like biggest key takeaways, my very last bullet, I said, no points left behind. So this is going to come down to you getting the point production that you need when you have the opportunities. Green Bay left a ton of points on the board. You've got one for five in the red zone scoring touchdowns. They got they settled for field goals far too often, and they did not get the point production. Obviously, you've got the two interceptions towards the end of the game, one for five in the red zone scoring touchdowns, and left a lot of points on the field with red zone productivity. The block extra point loomed extremely large in this game. You get that extra point, on the first interception, like you have the ability to go down and kick a field goal just to tie it. And if you do that, again, who knows the butterfly effect here, but you, theoretically you've got the, a field goal then to win it at the end, but you're instead you're having to chase touchdowns, which makes it a whole heck of a lot more difficult uh, in that final end game because you have to get a touchdown to, to take the lead and a field goal does you nothing. The possible pick six by Devondre Campbell, Loom Large, uh, the blown lateral call obviously loom large, but there were a lot of points out there that Green Bay could have had and just didn't. There's a play uh, that on one of the drives that they settled for a field goal that they ran a beautiful uh, play with Jones out of the backfield and he just did like a, a sprint play to the opposite side of the field and the linebacker was late reacting to it. It was a third and three and Jones catches was like slightly high and a little bit behind, but um, an easily catchable ball for Jones. He catches the ball and he turns up field. And I think it's a Landon Roberts, the linebacker. Uh, either way, it's a linebacker for uh, you know, you know, for them. And Jones, if he wins a foot race there against the linebacker, he has a touchdown. There's nobody else making a play on it. It's just him versus a linebacker who's behind on the play. And Jones gets turned around, and the linebacker just barely trips up Aaron Jones. If he can avoid getting tripped up there, it's a touchdown. And that takes another four points off the board because Jones couldn't outrun the linebacker. Like these little things that you had the screen pass to Jones where John Runyon Jr. couldn't get out and make the block on the guy. No points left behind was the goal of like, you can't leave these clear and obvious points on the board. That screen pass probably should have gone for a touchdown. Perfect play call at the perfect time. And they didn't execute it. You execute the screen pass. If Jones can beat the defender, Again, you get a couple things to go your way. All of a sudden, like there's so many points that are left out there. The extra point, all of it. And instead, you end up with far less points than you should because you left all of those points out on the field. From a special team standpoint, the huge block extra point was, again, the biggest thing, but they also had the kick out of bounds. Not a banner day from the special teams overall. They did have a nice kick return from Keyshawn Nixon but it's still a little bit too inconsistent in year two with Rich Basaccia. I know that some of his guys like Nixon and Ford and Ballantyne are busy playing defense, but you've still got a lot of core guys on that special teams like a Dallin Levitt, like an Innes Gaines, amongst many, many others. And you've got to find a way to have better special teams play. And you, you can't allow block kicks to happen. That was a huge, massive play in this game. All right, a couple of rough days in this one. Aaron Jones, a very... Uh, just non-typical poor day from him. Had a drop pass early in the game. He dropped uh, the trick play, which is technically a fumble for Dontavian Wicks because it's a backwards pass. Hey, they got that one right. Um, but it's a backwards pass slash lateral, which Jones drops, so it becomes a fumble. So he's got to pick it up. It was a really fun design play. I don't know if Jones gets the first down, but he has the possibility to, especially with Jones' ability with the ball in his hands. 
and it was well blocked, well designed. And instead Jones just biffs it and then goes nowhere. And then you've got the um, play late in the game where they check it down to Jones. In a perfect world, Jones just drops it, but that's that's probably a lot to ask in that situation. But instead he catches it, which fine, I, I get that. But then he does not go out of bounds. He cuts back inside and you could tell Matt LaFleur was not happy about that after the game either. Talked about it numerous, you know, a couple different times of how Jones needed to get out of bounds in that situation. 13 carries, 35 yards, four catches for 19 yards. Very non-typical Aaron Jones day. As I mentioned, he had the play where if he beats the linebacker, he's gone. It's a touchdown and just didn't go that way. Uh, tough day for Aaron Jones. He'll bounce back. He's one of the best on the team. He's one of the best in the business, but this was a, this was a hang with him a week for Aaron Jones. And I'm sure he'll be much, much better a week from now as they face the Chargers next week. Christian Watson, rough day. The the drop was the big one. I, I know it's like the, the interception where it's a contested catch. Would you maybe like to see him make some, I don't know. That's it, a tough play for Christian. I, I think my bigger thing here is that the drop was a big one and I didn't think his route running was super great in this one. Not not high speed, not um, not with the attention to detail that's required at this point. And to me, it is the details for Christian Watson. Now, I will say, A, I'm not giving up on Christian Watson in any capacity. I think he's still going to be a really good player in this league, but Christian needs to be a lot better than what he's been so far. It has been a significant drop off from last year to this year. I also think Green Bay needs to do a much better job of getting Christian better opportunities just to get the ball in his hands. The throw it deep in jump ball contested catch situations, guess what? It's not working. Hasn't worked for weeks now. So let's try something different. Let's see if we can get some crossing routes to him to get the ball in his hands easily. Let's try some wide receiver screens to Christian Watson to get the ball in his hands easily. Let's put him in the backfield and hand it off to him from time to time to get the ball in his hands easily. He's too fast and um, you know just too dangerous with the ball in his hands to not find ways to utilize him with a bit more creativity. And that's what I need to see right now because again, the the deep ball stuff, whether Love is missing him, whether Watson's not coming up with the contested catch, it's great that he has that deep speed and that he can get separation at times. It it just isn't working well enough. And you've got to find a different way to get him involved in the offense in ways that he can make those positive plays. The play last year against Philadelphia easy crosser over the middle. Watson takes it, does the rest on his own. That's what I need to see more of from the Packers and Christian Watson and less of the just the jump ball 50-50 stuff that clearly is not working at this point. So I think Green Bay needs to do a better job of getting him in situations where he can be better. And he also just needs to be and play better moving forward as well, because it has not been good enough so far this year from Christian Watson. Meanwhile, really impressive game from Jaden Reed. Uh, he's got the play late um, to get them into range where they're going to have a chance to to go down and win the game if, if they can convert on that last play. That's an interesting throw from Jordan Love. Not sure if that was exactly his, his intended placement of that ball, but it worked out perfectly and Jaden goes and gets it. Of course, he's got the touchdown earlier in the game uh, where he beats the, the corner and the safety down the field and then goes up and gets the ball. I don't know if like it's a little bit contested, but uh, either way, it's a really nice uh, play by Jaden Reed, and he goes up and gets it to make sure he comes down with it. And I just thought he had a really nice day overall. Impressed, continu- you know, consistently and continually with the play of the rookie wide receiver. I think he's only going to get better and better. And this was a really positive step for Jaden Reed as well. Just seeing him go up and get the ball was great and have those explosive plays. That's what we're waiting for for Jaden. I think it's going to continue to trend in that direction. But again, another real positive for Reed and Green Bay. I thought Green Bay had a pretty good plan for TJ Watt. I did think that the offensive line overall had a pretty solid day. This is the third straight really good game for Elton Jenkins. Zach Tom held his own against one of the best pass rushers in football. Watt got his wins, but Tom got his as well. Still ended up as a net positive performance for Zach Tom. I thought Myers and Runyon, while they graded in the negative, it wasn't like egregious, horrible days, which take that for what it's worth. Although Runyon had a couple really bad plays in this one. Uh, and I thought Walker really struggled and I, I've kind of been Walker guy, but I, I thought he had a tough game in this one. Um, needs to be a little bit better from him. And I'm sure it's going to be a debate this week again as to whether or not it will be Runyon or sorry, if it'll be Rashid Walker or Yash Nyman moving forward. If there is any good news from this one, 
Uh, no major injuries, it didn't seem like. Now, Quay and Jair did not play, but I think Rochelle was the only one who went down. I don't know if he ever came back on special teams. That's all he played. He didn't play on defense as far as I saw. But um, I know he went down for a second. I don't think there were any other injuries that were noted. So that might be one good thing for Green Bay in this one that hopefully, knock on wood, they got out of the game without any major injuries. Some miscellaneous notes. Uh, They need to get uh, love on some read option plays. And the reason that I say that there were numerous occasions where the edge player or like the the player that had contain just came crashing down and they did not honor Jordan keeping the ball at all. I think they need to give that look more, especially early in games, just to give teams doubt of like, hey, he could keep it at any moment. And you do that and it just makes it so that the TJ Watts of the world can't go screaming down in the box and make a play in the running game, which happened on numerous occasions in this game because they didn't honor Jordan keeping the ball. So they have to make sure that he is keeping the ball on some of those just to make sure that those players that are responsible for for contain are honoring it and not just crashing down inside because if they crash down inside, you have an unblocked defender that is unaccounted for. And right now, specifically Pittsburgh, but other teams as well are not honoring Jordan keeping it. And you're just ending up with an unblocked defender going right towards your running back, which is not going to do anyone any favor. So Green Bay is going to have to have him keep a few more of those if they want to continue to run that because otherwise teams are just crashing down inside far too easily. Uh, Corey Ballantyne and Jonathan Owens get the starts. Uh, I didn't think that Rochelle would get the start over Ballantyne, but there was maybe some question as to whether or not it would be Owens or Anthony Johnson Jr. I expected Owens. We got Owens. And those were your two starters filling in on defense for Darnell Savage and then for uh, Jair Alexander on the outside. If you're wondering, Packers do currently have the sixth pick in the NFL draft if the season were to end today. They get the loss that continues to push their pick back. And again, right now it is pick number six. Meanwhile, the Jets did lose which did push that Jets second round pick back a little bit as well. And hopefully they can continue to lose so that pick can continue to gain value and it's hopefully closer to you know pick 40 rather than pick 50. Next up is the LA Chargers. They lost to the Lions on Sunday. Chargers open as three-point favorites. Will be a West Coast team playing at noon uh, in Green Bay. Warm weather team playing in a colder environment in Green Bay like the Chargers in this one, but hopefully Green Bay can continue to show signs of progress and keep this one competitive. As I mentioned earlier, this is probably the the loss that I felt best about so far. Again, no banners hung, no moral victories, but the, the defense we know is going to have issues with the way that the scheme is set up. That's nothing new. I didn't learn anything new about that today. I was disappointed in the tackling, the run defense, and some of the decisions on defense and how they played. But again, that, that's not anything new to this team. I did feel like some of the things that they found success with against the Rams carried over against the Steelers, that the blocking was better. The big run by A.J. Dillon was a perfectly blocked play. That play doesn't happen a few weeks ago. They didn't have the the focus or the awareness or just the ability to put a play like that and a block like that together. And they did this week against Pittsburgh. I thought they had a much better plan for TJ Watt than they had for Max Crosby earlier in the season. Jordan Love developed his deep ball. Jaden Reed had a huge game. They're continuing to find ways to get Luke Musgrave the ball down the field. I do think there are repeatable positives that came really from the past couple weeks that carried over into this one and are showing signs of progress that have me feeling better about things. Not great. Again, I don't think anyone's making any like all right, they're, they're, everything's perfect now. They're trending great. No, there's still so many things that this team has to work on, but I can see some positives. I can see that they're working on things. The blocking up front for the offensive line has been better, which again is is, is giving me some, some hope moving forward. Elton Jenkins, three straight weeks of really great play. Zach Tom continues to be really positive. That gives you two really good offensive linemen, hopefully week in and week out. And we'll see where things kind of go from there. And I think Love made some really positive steps in the right direction as well. So it, it's not a it's not a win. It's not a moral victory. But I, I felt like there were still positives to take away from this one. And I, I still feel like they're trending better than where they were at earlier this season. Do with that what you will. If you're frustrated and you just want to see some wins, I get it. I understand that they're looking right in the face of potentially three more losses, which would put them at eight losses in nine games. Nobody's looking forward to that or wanting that. Get those things, but I do see things that are getting a little bit better 
week by week, little by little, and hopefully that continues moving forward. And then at the end of the year, when they do have some easier opponents in those last five games, hopefully you can see that come together. And all of a sudden they start playing complimentary football, start playing more as a team, start stacking some wins and really showing all the things that they got better at in some of these tough games and maybe go on a little bit of a streak at the end of the year. And we can debate if that's best in ruining draft status and everything like that. But um, either way, I want to see this young team playing much better as the year goes along. And I think there were some things you could pick out in this one that did in fact go better. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wilde, Chebradad, Arnaldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boomhandle, Donald Lee, and Lori Lord. If you've not checked out Packaday Podcast memberships, you can do so right now. Hit the join button on the YouTube channel. All the different options are there for you. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening if you have not subscribed yet. Tell a friend about the Packaday Podcast. Also, if you're in Green Bay, you can check out the Packaday Podcast flag football team sponsoring my son's team uh, over at the Sports Emporium in Green Bay, which has been really fun to see the Packaday logo uh, on the back of the jerseys, which has been pretty cool as well. 12-12, tie game. Uh, Elijah Herman, slight negative grade, uh, had a really nice run uh, in the game. Um, had, I think, two or three tackles or flag pulls, if you will. Did throw an interception uh, on a pass attempt, though. So we're working through it. We're reviewing the tape. We're going to get better. And uh, six-year-old Elijah, I'm confident he's going to bounce back and, and stack success and show some signs of growth in week two. That's it for me. We're done here. I'll see you guys tomorrow. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.